Jerry, where did you get those snazzy shoes? Are they vegan? These? You bet they are. I got them online at mooshoes.com. Wait, aren't they located in New York City? Yes, they are, but they have international shipping. You know what I love about shopping at Mooshoes? Is it that they're women-owned? Well, yes, of course, but they have actual cats in the store. You can go into their store at 78 Orchard Street and shop for shoes, and Georgie the cat will come sit on your lap. Oh my God, that's so cool. Cats in the store. Cats. Please give Mooshoes a follow at Mooshoes underscore NYC. And hey, guess what? We have a coupon code for you. Use Kramers10 when you shop at Mooshoes.com. K-R-A-M-E-R-S number 10. Kramers10. Mooshoes.com. Do it. Get some shoes. Not yet. But just sing it into my mouth. No. Just try it. Just I for don't a second. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> just a little. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hiya. I'm Jerry Kramer. I'm a trans woman and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Sarah Kramer. I'm a cis woman and my pronouns are also she, her. Welcome to Meet the Kramers. Meet the Kramers. One, One of them's, them's trans, trans, the, the other, other one's cis, cis and they like to kiss. kiss. Some of you want to hear a full version of that song and I guess I got to start working on my lyrics because that's all we got so far. Should I play it on the ukulele? If you want me to play it on the ukulele, please send us an email at info at meetthekramers.net. Don't forget to like and subscribe and also leave us a positive review somewhere. Five stars, please. Five stars. If you don't like our show, off you go. Thank you all so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. We are only five episodes in now, and the response and support that we've gotten has been so much more than we thought we were going to get. It is wonderful. It's just super cool. We didn't think anybody was going to (laughs) listen. There's so many people who are listening and responding to all of our stories, and it just, I don't know, it just, I feel so fulfilled. I feel like we are the weirdest people we know. (laughs) And it's so nice that we're like, hey, look at our weird guts. And everybody else is like, I have those same weird guts. Yeah. And we're all just weirdos together. And it is heartwarming. The other thing is, is that I am now fulfilling a dream that I had as a very small child. Because when I was younger, I my dad got me a tape recorder and a microphone. And I would go into our family den I would take a flashlight that my dad covered with red paper and I would turn the red flashlight on and put it in front of the door, close the den, and I would talk into a microphone and a tape and pretend to be a reporter on CBC and I would read stories that I made up and I would tell tales and I'm going to play you a little snippet from one of those cassette tapes because it's hysterical. But now we're doing the same thing as adults. We're in the den Talking into our microphone, it's just, it's a childhood dream come true. We need a red light for the door. I'm a freaking broadcaster. (laughs) So here's a little snippet from me when I was maybe, I actually don't know how old I was here. Hello, I 
am doing a story for today, but it's a little bit sad because somebody get, gets killed. It's about a monster and a little girl who loves him, and he eats her up. Well, here's a story. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who wanted to see a real monster, but she never could see a real monster until one day she saw a monster and she went up, up, up to a hill. And when she got up there, she said, Ah, ah, it's a monster. I believe the monster. And then she ran home and then the monster came in and ate her mom and dad. But I think the monster is stupid and fucking bastard. Well, that's the end of my story. Thank you for hearing it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, Tiny Sarah. Thank you for that amazing story. Um, yeah, my family, we used a lot of salty language in my family. Swear words were okay um, to use if you wanted to express yourself. You were just never allowed to use swear words to hurt someone else's feelings. And we also weren't allowed to swear outside of the house or in front of my Zeta. And I think that's a great way to teach your children about when to use language in an appropriate way. I don't know. I'm not a mom. So we have a little bit of housekeeping before we start with our Letters to the Kramers episode. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was that we did a foot, what do you call it? Peel. A foot peel, where you put your foot in a little bag of acid. Not LSD. Not LSD. And it carefully and gingerly eats the dead skin off your feet. And then over the next two weeks, your feet completely peel all that dead skin away and you have baby feet underneath it. And so we just did it and your feet were a fucking nightmare of skin. There was skin everywhere and me, not so much. It didn't work. I'm, yeah. kind, of, I'm kind of bummed about it. So I got to do it again, I think. I think you just have really thick hobbit feet. That's fair. <laughs> Next, you went on a trip to Lululemon. I, I did. Would, I would love to hear about it. And this is not a paid ad. What happened? I went into the store alone. I haven't really done any shopping by myself. I usually Sarah's with me when we when we go, and she kind of I guess protects me because I'm still a fragile trans baby. I have I really really desperately wanted a pair of Lululemon leggings because. I just think they look so great on everybody. And I just wanted my own pair. So I went into Lululemon and there was a greeter at the door. Her name was Becca. Hi, Becca. She asked me if I needed help with anything. And I said, yes, I'm here for some yoga pants. She immediately led me into the men's area. And I said, I noticed that you're leading me into the men's area. And I just want you to know that that's not for me. And she just looked at me, said, of course, and took me to the back where all the women's clothes were, which was just so sweet. No, no apologies, no nothing, just a simple course correction. And she fixed it and shook me to the back. She talked me through a bunch of different sizing options. We picked a couple pairs. I tried on a bunch of stuff. I loved it all. Um, and then when I came out, there was two other women in the change room area that also worked there. They were just like, they just were talking to me like I was one of the girls. And it was so, 
that's the word. Nice. Yeah, it's nice. But the <laughs> word is affirming. It was such an affirming visit and it made me feel so good. And if you're a trans girl, you should maybe shop there if you want to because they're super chill. That's so not sweet. an ad. This is not an ad. It's just like appreciation. You were over the moon the whole day. It was really sweet. I really was. It was such a good time for me. <laughs> and expensive. <laughs> and expensive. So let's dig into some of these listener questions that were sent in. The range of questions were far and wide, and we're going to try our best to answer them. The first question comes from my buddy, Joel, who is an amazing photographer on Instagram. Um, Maybe I'll post one of their pictures and tag them because the photos that they do are unreal. And uh, Joel's question was, what do you do to unwind and relax? Oh, is it for me? (laughs) How nice. What do I do to unwind and relax? You ride your motorcycle? I do. It's not relaxing, but I definitely love it. I We bicycle. We bicycle a lot. One of the best things that we did this pandemic was we threw financial caution to the wind. We bought two rad power bikes and... The change in my mental health when we got those bikes was astounding. I didn't realize how muffled I had been all year. And then when we got those bikes and I got wind on my cheeks and the smell of the forest in my nostrils, I suddenly like just the pressure of the whole year just sort of lifted. So for me, getting those those bicycles have just been a game changer. Right. And you drive to work uh, three days a week downtown. So those days... I don't have um, a car or any way to leave um, the property. So having the bike, I can now ride to the grocery store if it's nice out or just even just go for a ride and whatever. Anyway, those bikes changed everything for me. It's so great. It's so great seeing you being so adventurous. So this year I started, well, listen, I've been doing yoga for a long time, but it's been pretty sporadic once I started to go back to work. Post-cancer, I was doing yoga at least twice a week, if not more. And then when I started working back at Tattoo Zoo, the schedule didn't jibe with the yoga schedule. And so when COVID hit, my yoga teacher started doing Zoom yoga online, obviously. Uh, So I've been doing Zoom yoga with her, I guess it's been a year, twice a week, The classes are an hour and a half. And then I've also been doing intensive classes with her. Sometimes she has different uh, courses that we can take. Like uh, last weekend, I just did a three-day yoga class that was five hours a day. (laughs) I couldn't believe I could do it. So that has been amazing because my fitness is so much better and my legs are like tree trunks. And I'm strong. And I've never felt like I've been strong ever, ever, ever. But all this yoga has made me... I picked up a flat of boobly bubbled water today like it was a feather. Like I'm much stronger than I've ever been, I think. And that's all thanks to Ty Chandler's yoga class. This is not a commercial. <laughs> I just love her so much. So when we all went into lockdown in March of last year, I think the first couple months were just like couch potato time. We just barely got up off the couch because we were just in shock and... I think everybody was in trauma mode. Like it was just, what is happening? How how is this happening to the whole world all at once? It was a lot. But then once I realized, or once we realized that this was like going to be a long 
term thing, I just started to dig back into my creativity because I'd kind of been ignoring it for a while. I don't know why, but I pulled out my sewing machine and I started doing some more sewing. I tried making clothes. That was a bust, but I did make a really cool banner um, that I gave to Nicole, one of our coworkers for Secret Santa. And I've been doing some painting. What else have I been doing? All kinds of creative stuff. Everything. Shit, man. We started a podcast. We started a podcast. And then to relax, I love riding my bike. Honestly, when I get on my bike, I feel one way. And when I come home after riding my bike, I am another way. And I like being the other way. I also have been doing a lot of gardening. We moved into this house almost two years ago. Yeah. And it's the first time in like a long time that we've had a garden in our own backyard space. Um, And then just being able to like putter with the bees and the butterflies and watch my hummingbirds and their feeder. And yeah, being in the garden has been amazing. And I love to cut my lawn. That's something you learned about me. Because when we looked at this property and I saw how big the the backyard was, I said, I don't really want a yard that big. I don't want to have to cut it. And you said, I promise I will cut it. And I didn't believe you. I thought it was going to be like a child asking for a puppy. (laughs) But you have, you cut it every week and you love it. I love it. I love tending to it. I love fertilizing it. I love cutting it. I love using the whippersnipper. I love it. We are so suburban. (laughs) Oh, here's here's kind of a heavy question um, that's for you. Were there any specific times in your life that you look back on now and you see that you were having issues with your assigned gender? Yeah, I think... And we, we talked about a little bit with... Girl Machine. Girl Machine. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I look back at and it's kind of more like, oh, that thing. Uh-huh. It, it's stuff that didn't feel weird to me at the time, but now when I'm looking back with this new... Hindsight. With, with these new glasses... <laughs> I'm really seeing. I would often play female roles in our boy circle. When you were a kid? Yeah, when we were a kid, we would be, you know, there's like five or six boys that we all hung out and we're playing, I don't know, some space thing. Maybe it was based on Alien. I don't know. Somebody has to be the girl. I'll do it. I don't mind. I'll do it. (laughs) And I just, I have a very distinct memory of playing some kind of space family and just my friends. Like you were the mom? Yeah, it was the mom or the wife or I don't know the specifics. I just remember the part where we were like, well, everybody, it's time to go to bed. And then I was just laying in my friend's arms with my head on his chest like a little girl. (laughs) And it was, it's just such a nice memory. That's so sweet. And of course, all of the, all the G.I. Joes and the Star Wars I always played the lady figures. And then when I was 12, I think, class was divided into four groups to do Christmas plays. And we had to do a play based on Christmas past. We wrote this whole thing, but there was, but it was six, it was again, six boys. And we needed somebody to play Mrs. Claus. One of my best friends at the time was like, I'll play the girl. And I was like, no, I don't mind. I'll do it. And then he's like, no, I can do it. And it, we kind of went back and forth with it. Both of us kind of being like, I don't care, but I'll do it. I don't really care, but I'll do it. The dress that we were going to use was something we got from my mom. And I was just like, listen, this is my mom's dress, so I have to do this. <laughs> and like, I really fought to be Mrs. Claus in that stupid fucking play. Hindsight yeah. is wild. Yeah. So there's lots. There's lots of little tiny vignettes that I look back at and just am like... Yeah, check. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. 
That fits. Uh, one of the letters that we got is someone wants to know if my eyebrows are tattooed. No, they are not. They are 85% mine and whatever the rest of that percentage is, I can't do math, eyebrow pencil. Although lately I've been using an eyebrow pen, but um, I just sort of fill in the gaps. My right eyebrow is perfection and doesn't really need a lot of help. My left eyebrow, on the other hand, is... Hot garbage. <laughs> and so that one needs assistance. And it doesn't matter what I do, the left side is always... It just grows in weird. I don't know what's wrong with it. Anyway, so I do fill them in. I started filling them in uh, during chemo and I really like the way it looked and now I can't stop. I every, There's every day I say, I'm not going to draw on my eyebrows. And then every day I walk out with a full beat of makeup on my face. And somebody says, I love your eyebrows, which just like affirms that you need to do it every day. <laughs> so another question that came through, which is kind of similar to the other one, but maybe it's not, is um, how or in what sort of ways did you notice or know that you were feeling a different sense of you needing to come out into the world? That's a, it's a great question. Why now? I've been living a hidden trans woman for 48 years. Why change anything? And that is something I think we're going to get into in the next couple episodes. And I don't want to like... Cliffhanger. Give it all away. We love a cliffhanger. <laughs> we got a message on Instagram. I think I would love a further in-depth answer from Sarah about how she readjusted to intimacy after her assault. Well... I will say that it's still a work in progress for me, even now. It's something that I'm constantly working on. And in the beginning, I had so much shame about it. I can't even explain how I would get through it other than to just do a lot of, I mean, get through it sounds terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> but what I would have to do anytime that we were intimate, would I'd, I would have to remind myself, like, you are safe. You are with someone who loves you, like look at this person. This person loves you. You are safe. And that self-talk sometimes could sort of help. The other thing I would suggest is that if you are struggling with something like that, is that you talk to your therapist about it. I still am embarrassed to talk about sex with my therapist. It's just, it's one of those things that just makes me so uncomfortable. And that's something I probably need to talk about in therapy. I would just suggest to anybody who's struggling that you do talk to someone about it. One of the things that I've been working on with my therapist, not for um, sexual trauma, but for other traumas, is I've been doing EMDR. There was a time not that long ago where I couldn't talk about chemo without feeling my stomach lurch or actually feeling like I was going to throw up or being nauseous when I would talk about chemo because the sense memory of chemo was so strong that my body just could not let go of it. And so we did some EMDR. I can't explain EMDR properly without it sounding wackadoodle, but I would suggest that you just Google it. And when my therapist suggested it, I was like, this sounds wild. How is this going to work? Because there's tapping involved and you're not really talking about the trauma. You're more visualizing the trauma and kind of watching it like a movie go across the screen in front of you with your eyes closed and the tapping kind of activates the left side of your brain and the right side of your brain so that you can actually process the trauma. And the last time we did EMDR with the chemo uh, nausea, as we were doing the EMDR, I actually felt the nausea come up and I thought, oh no, I'm going to puke. And then I just felt it dissipate because my body just sort of processed that trauma because it was stuck inside me. And now I can talk about chemo. And yes, it's still obviously a distressing time in my life, but I don't feel like I'm going to puke. 
And so I feel like that's a really big step. What I want to say is find a good therapist that you trust. Therapists are like shoes. You have to try on many different pairs before you find the one that actually works for you. If you don't vibe with somebody, move on to the next one. And when you do find somebody that you vibe with, you'll have like the space to really work on the stuff that you want to work on. Is that a good answer? What a great answer. I I do want to say though, that when you started doing the MDR, it felt so hocus pocus to me that I think I thought it was less weird when you had Reiki done by a horse. (laughs) I did get Reiki done by a horse. (laughs) I forgot. Uh, How did I find that person? That's for a different episode. (laughs) No. (laughs) There was a woman doing Reiki in the middle of a horse ring. And so she would take her massage bed, put it in the middle of the horse ring, and her horse, whose name happened to be Prince would come over and also do Reiki on you. And so he came over and he would snuffle my armpit and she'd say, is there something going on in this armpit? And I'd be like, yes, I have a lot of pain over here from radiation. And she's like, "Mm, mm mm-hmm. And then Prince would like snuffle it, snuffle it, snuffle it. And then he would come over to my neck and he nibbled on my ear. And she's like, do you have problems with your jaw? And I was like, yes, I do. And then Prince would snuffle into my ear. It was a really lovely just to be that close to a horse named Prince. Man, I forgot about that. That was that was awesome. And a little hocus pokey see. Um, you can't win. Someone else, uh, someone wrote in and they want to know what kind of insurance that we had that we were able to cash in when I got sick. When I bought my first motorcycle, you said, if you are going to ride a motorcycle around, which is inherently dangerous, you must get life insurance. I think we had been talking about it prior because we were in our 30s. And we were like, yeah, we're getting old. We should get life insurance. We went in. um, Hi, we just want life insurance. And they're like, you should also get critical illness. They kind of laid it out for us. And it actually sounded pretty good. And the critical illness that we ended up purchasing is a critical illness insurance retirement savings. We pay into it. If we never use it, we get, um, I don't know, 35% back. And if we use it, then we don't have to worry about whatever critical illness we got. So it's, it was, it was really kind of a win-win situation. We weren't totally throwing money away, but also kind of preparing ourselves for the future. And, and neither of us thought we were ever going to use it. Of course. <laughs> and we're so lucky we had it because it's, it saved that year for, for both of us. I know a lot of people have like negative feelings about insurance companies, but I want to say that when I got diagnosed... We put our my claim in immediately, and then actually the day of my mastectomy, they yeah. called and said, we can release a check to you. We just have to talk to Sarah to make sure that she's alive. Yeah, because that, <laughs> that's the, the deal with critical illness is that you can only use it if you're diagnosed with a critical illness, which is one of the big ones, heart attack, stroke, cancer. You live 30 days past the diagnosis. And that happened to be the day of my mastectomy. Yes. So she called and you were like, well, Sarah's just waking up from surgery. She's like, I just have to hear her voice. And so I was like, hello, I'm very high. Yeah. Yes, I'm alive. Thank you so much for calling. (laughs) Uh, And then we got our check like the next day. Uh, So we had no issues with Sun Life which is who we have our insurance through. This is not an ad. I'm just saying that we've had a decent experience with them. Yeah, I like looking back at our lives now, it's it's one of the best things we've ever we ever did. 
Somebody wrote in who I think has been following Sarah for a really long time and asked, why did Sarah have her second breast removed? Is that something you want to talk about? I don't mind talking about it. I am an open breastplate. Breastplate. (laughs) I don't mind talking about it at all. I think I lived with uh, being a uniboob, which is what I called myself um, after my first mastectomy. I think I lived with with only one breast for almost two years. I thought about getting reconstruction, um, but when I went and saw the surgeon and they explained the intensity of the surgery and also, more importantly, the fact that my chest had been radiated and that because of that, there was a 30% chance that that tissue wouldn't respond to surgery again because a lot of the, is it collagen? Anyway, that skin is forever compromised in my radiation chest area. So if I was going to have surgery and say get an implant, um, there was a 30% chance of complications. And I had already had so much happen to my body. What I did was I decided that I wanted to have my left breast removed. But before I did that, you and I had a long talk about whether it was worth it or not. I thought that my mastectomy was going to be really difficult. But the difficult part for me was getting my brain around the fact that I had to remove my breast. But the actual surgery itself, while it wasn't easy, it wasn't difficult. Like even though, yes, I have scar tissue and yes, I had some um, trouble with my arm, the recovery from it was not it wasn't painful. And I asked my doctor, I said, am I going to wake up in pain after um, after my surgery? And he said, no, because we're taking your nipple as well. And that's where all of the nerve endings are. And so it really, you really won't wake up in pain. And I, I really didn't. It was uncomfortable, yes, but it, I was never really in any sort of pain. So before I decided to do the second side, I just tried a lot of different things because I didn't want to have surgery again. And so I tried to wear a prosthetic and I had cheap ones. I had expensive ones. I think I bought one that was like $300. And I tried all different kinds of things. And um, the prosthetics just didn't work for me. One, because I was in menopause. And so I was having hot flashes all of the time. Um, And then adding a synthetic sandbag or whatever you want to call it to my chest would make me hot flash all the time. Um, I found them really uncomfortable. And my radiated side, even to this day, if you put a lot of pressure on my radiated side, it's uncomfortable. That side of my body, I think, is always going to be sensitive. And then I was like, okay, I just want to do it. I just want to be flatty, flat, flat, flat. I want to be so flat. And I found a Facebook group called uh, Flat and Fabulous. And it's women who are just congregating, talking about their flat experience. Many of them had gone flat because of complications from surgery. And some of them just wanted to be flat and just not have to deal with breasts anymore. And once I found that group, I kind of felt less weird about it because anytime I'd brought it up with a doctor before, they made me feel weird. They're like, that breast is perfectly healthy. Why would you want to remove it? Once I decided that I did want to be flat, I just sort of said to them, listen, walking around with one breast, it's like walking around with one pant leg or it's like walking around with one earring. Like it just doesn't work. I want to be symmetrical. So once I said that to my surgeon, he was like, okay, I get it. I get it. That makes sense to me. I don't know why I had to fight for it, honestly. There's a, I think there's a lot of pressure put on post-cancer folks to rebuild their womanhood. Yeah, there is a lot of um like putting yourself back together. Let's let's get it, get you looking normal again. Yeah. And that's not a thing that you should be saying to people. <laughs> One of the things my surgeon said when we were talking about 
um, removing my other breast and about me wanting to be symmetrical was, aren't you worried that you won't appear feminine? And I looked at him and I was like, I appear feminine or I present feminine because I identify as feminine. It has nothing to do with my breasts. And then he stopped talking (laughs) and we just booked my appointment. And it's just another example of how I had to advocate for myself during this cancer journey. So once I got my surgeon on board, he actually did my left side mastectomy as day surgery because there was no cancer involved. So it was just a matter of removing the breasts. And I came home that afternoon. But when I woke up from surgery, oh God, it felt so good. Like I remember getting out of bed and pulling on my tank top and just sort of gingerly rubbing my hand across my chest. And the fact that I was symmetrical and flat, like it just felt so good. Is it difficult to find clothes as a woman now that I'm flat? Yes, because most women's tops have darts in them and I don't have anything on my chest that will fit into a dart, but I'm making it work. And, you know, being flat, I'll tell you, I don't have to wear a bra. Uh, Playing ukulele is much easier. (laughs) Doing yoga is amazing because there's nothing to get in the way. So this flat chest of mine, it comes with a lot of mixed feelings. Like sometimes I feel like, sometimes I'm hard on myself in the way I look because I do have the body of a six-year-old. You know how they're like, they're kind of shaped like a pear. You know, they're (laughs) flat up top and then they have this belly. I'm going to post a picture of myself at six so that everybody can see that that's what my body looks like now. But, but 90% of my day, I really, I really just like being flat is actually been sort of liberating. So that's my long story about why. It's a great story. (laughs) I love it. I'm flat and fabulous. Someone wrote in and said, why aren't you talking about Fergus more? Fergus was our poodle dog. Our first dog. Our very first dog. The very first dog I've ever lived with. Fergus came into our lives when I was about 30. He was the first dog I ever had. I'd always had cats before that. And cats are easy. Like you just put a box of litter in the basement and off you go. But with Fergus, I'd never had a puppy before. And I remember, I think we'd had him for about three weeks. And because he was a baby, you had to take him outside to pee like every couple hours or he'd pee in the house. And I had to teach him how to do stuff and how not to bark. And I had to teach him, I just had to teach him everything. And I remember one night coming into bed at like four in the morning and I was like, I think we've made a huge mistake (laughs) because I never wanted to have a baby. And I was like, here's this little fur baby and he's a baby. Anyway, it all worked out. And he was the sweetest. Fergus was... He, we called him the dude because he just didn't care about anything. He was just super, he would just wanted to hang out. He barely barked. He's just chill. And he liked us both equally. Some nights he'd lay with you while you were watching TV. Other nights he'd come sit with me while I was sitting at my computer. He was just the best. He was a really sweet, sweet dog. And he really took care of me during all my cancer treatment because when you were at work... Well, for one thing, I had to take him outside to go to the bathroom. And so that made me get up and go outside and walk around, which was good for me. I was so exhausted all of the time. And it seems counterintuitive when you're that tired that going out and doing going for a walk would make you feel better. But it always made me feel better and actually filled up my energy reserves. Um, And we just called him my little nurse dog. He just like, he just, I would come home from chemo. I'm going to cry. (laughs) 
I would come home from chemo and he would just immediately climb on top of me just to make me lay down and rest. And he always had his eyes on me. He kept watch over me. He was such a good... <laughs> you get me going. <laughs> <laughs> he was just a really good nurse dog. He really, like, he took care of me. And then after all my cancer treatment was over, we lost him. But he hung on. He hung on until he knew that I was okay. And then it was time to go. That's why we don't talk about Furious. It's so sad. <laughs> Someone wrote in and wanted to know, Jerry, that um, if you ever went on tour when you were in punk rock bands. That's a good question. I did a tiny, tiny bit of touring, but nothing very real. Just a couple of week-long things and bands that never really got off the ground. In the mid-90s, I did tour as a roadie with a band for a brief couple of weeks. I think it was a really long tour. I didn't make it a group of guys that I was really friendly with. And when I got in the van with them, they all kind of became different people. There was this real toxicity to their relationship with themselves and the world. There's a lot of locker room talk in the yeah, van. Yeah, a lot of locker room talk in the van. And I went into it, this wide-eyed, politically-minded, hardcore kid who had just figured out that she was trans. And yeah, because you went on tour with them the year that you came out to me. Yes. like And then went back into the closet. Like a month after. Right. I remember that they had played with a band in some city. I don't remember. The singer for the band was a trans woman. And I had a brief conversation with her after the show. When we got back to the van, there was like some real language about it. There was There was definitely a lot of sort of transphobic incidences on that trip, which is weird because I never really felt like there was trans trans people around. But now that I'm really thinking about this trip, there was like, there was trans people at the grocery store. There was trans people playing in the bands. There was... Of course, Jerry. There's trans people everywhere. No, but you had just discovered trans on the internet. And then you came out to me and I said, no, ma'am, shut it down. And so you were like, the world of possibility had opened up to you. It's like when you when someone says, like, I don't like white cars, all of a sudden that's all you see wherever you go is yeah. white cars. It's Yeah. It triggered something in your brain and suddenly you could see it everywhere. Yeah. Before I had decided to quit that tour, which is a whole thing, I had had a couple of conversations with some of the folks in the in the van about trans people. They had brought it up. Something derogatory. And I carefully defended them as a you know, devil's advocate, not really being very careful not to show that I was defending myself. It really tarnished hardcore for me, this trip, this tour. Especially because the band had an outside veneer of, we are this. And then to find out that when they're not on stage, they were different. Yeah. It's heartbreaking for you. Yeah, because I went into that van feeling like I had always felt about hardcore. Like, I am part of this positive army of change. Right. You know, on your trip, they were throwing pennies at sex workers and laughing about it and all kinds of terrible stuff. Like just gross, toxic dude shit. I noticed that as we got further and further east in the tour that the shows got more and more bro or I guess maybe violent is another good word. And finally, when we were in New York, the place we were staying opened a closet and it was full of automatic rifles. And 
I had a very like, nope. Also, it wasn't that far off from from when I got robbed at gunpoint. I had a very vivid nope. I'm out. I'm out. And I called you from a landline because... No cell phones. No cell phones. <laughs> and made you buy me a plane ticket. You're like, so I, I need to come home and I need to come home now. Yeah. And we both went into panic mode. Yeah. And what I should have said was, my darling, go get a hotel room. <laughs> and we can talk about it in the morning. But no, instead, I was in full panic mode at three in the morning trying to get you an airline You're ticket. You're like, get in a cab, go to the airport. <laughs> but we didn't have those skills yet. No, we didn't. <laughs> but I did shave my face in the airport bathroom <laughs> to make myself feel better. And then afterwards, I went to a... Well, you walked around the airport a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I went bit. around to the airport, but I went. I found a camera booth right. and took my and took some pictures to send to you or to have for when I got home to show you. And I realized I had cut my chin quite badly, <laughs> and I just had blood all over my chin. I was just walking around the airport covered in blood. <laughs> Obviously, this is pre nine eleven because that shit wouldn't fly now. No. But no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> but it must have been really disheartening because these people that you really admired showed you who they were. Yeah. And show and I'm sure that also kind of pushed you even farther back into the closet. Yes. And then also it would be another five, six, seven years before I played in a band again, before I sort of came back to hardcore, which was something that I truly loved. But that trip specifically... Kind of squashed it. Like squashed it. And I want to say, when you started the new band, you said to them, I want to do this band with you guys, but I'm never touring. And I will not go on tour because I have a job and a wife and things that I got to deal with back at home. But I wonder... That's like partially an excuse. Yeah. You were just felt... I feel like you got kind of burned. burned. I did. And also I learned a little bit about pedestals as well. Why does Sarah hate puppy touches? So if you listened to the last episode, we talked all about Jerry's first therapist and how they suggested puppy touches. It was a whole thing and you have to go back and listen to it. I hate puppy touches because I don't like to be tickled. Makes murder bubble up inside of me. I hate being tickled. It makes me so uncomfortable and furious do you think that I'm lying when I say that? No. Oh, okay. You just look. I, I don't know. <laughs> you had this, Liar. No, you had this look on your face like, that's bullshit. No. Okay. That is not what I was thinking Well, that's an interesting story that I made up when I looked at your face. We got a letter from a pal that we knew from the Victoria Punk scene back in the day. And um, they said, after growing up in the punk scene and realizing that it was a collection of highly traumatized children. I think of all the ways that we could have done better, but we weren't equipped. Thank you for helping me remember that. And we've been talking a lot about hindsight and how weird hindsight is and how you can't judge what you did when you were a kid based on who you are now as an adult. And all you can do is just be the best version of yourself today. Someone asked uh, they sent me a DM on Instagram and they said, why do you and Jerry get along so well? And I, I'm i going to tell you why. <laughs> I want to hear what you think. Okay. So I think we get along really well because we respect each other and we don't hold animosity because when either one of us does something wrong, we say sorry and then we let it go. We don't hang on to it. We don't make like a list of grievances that we have in our pocket for later. 
And we also genuinely really like each other as people. And that's it, I think. Yeah, I like that. I agree. Do you want me to say the same thing? No. Because I, I do think it's because we respect each other. And I do think it's because we get along. And I do think it's because we actually like being around each other. Also, even though we sometimes talk about really heavy stuff or maybe we're having a little fight about something, I feel like we really focus on making sure that we're communicating with each other and that we don't say things that are hurtful. Like I would never just tell you to fuck off and then leave the room. I would instead say, this conversation is a bit too much. I would like to put a pin in it. And then we put a pin in it and talk about it later when we're both calm. Right. Which is something that we learned from therapy. 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 So thanks so much for all your questions. And thank you so much for listening so far. Next episode is finally the vegan meat and potatoes that everybody's been waiting for. We are going to talk about when you came out to me again in 2019. This is what I'm here for. This is what you're here for, my baby. We have gotten through our origin story and now we are going to start talking about what it was like when you came out to me in 2019. Are you are you ready? Yes. Are you excited? I'm a little bit it's not nervous, it's apprehensive. It's going to be great. I think so. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> Sound engineering for this episode by Gavin Stacy. Isn't he awesome? We love him. <laughs>